This is a WTF podcast experience. Whatever we were feeling, the big guys were going to be feeling it a hundred times more when their focus was on cutting costs and um, restructuring and how do we keep this alive because we've got all of these large-scale investors. We focused on, well, how can we out-service our, you know, our competitors? How can we call a hundred times more people when these guys are forgetting about the people that have kept them alive for 10 years and focusing about themselves and their own profits. Welcome to Taming the Ferrets, New Zealand's most awarding business podcast. A collection of ferrets is called a business, and here on New Zealand's most awarding business podcast, we tame the ferrets once and for all. We welcome entrepreneurs, leaders, inspirational figureheads to inform, educate, motivate, and inspire. My name's Freddie Bennett. I am an Englishman in New Zealand. I'm an entrepreneur, author, Guinness World Record holder, and a wannabe podcast host. And today, everybody, we have got a real treat for you. I am delighted to welcome Ben Calvert, founder and CEO of Flickit, here in the Taming the Ferret studio. Ben, welcome. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh, welcome, welcome, Ben, to Taming the Ferret studio. For anyone that, that hasn't heard of you and uh, hasn't heard of Flickit, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, so Flickit was um, founded about four years ago, um, and we help premium brands uh, within the sports and entertainment industry connect directly with their fan base, um, driving ticket sales and helping them activate their data in a cost-effective um, and more innovative manner. Amazing. And how, uh, how does that begin? How, how did you start on this, this business journey? Quite interesting, really. My family um, has been involved in the sports and entertainment industry for over 50 years now. And so um, growing up as a kid, we were lucky enough to attend hundreds of different events of various different sizes. And um, yeah, essentially, we found an area that really was due for disruption, which was ticketing. It was um, very outdated and... um, yeah, an opportunity stood out there for us, which was cool. And so, so, so what is that? You, you mentioned you know, the, the, the family connection to, to events and, and sports. What, what was that like for, for, for young Ben growing up in, in that kind of household? Yeah, it was, it was really exciting, really. Um, you know, I've got memories going to the Olympic Games in Sydney, wow. um, you know, the Australian Open tennis, um, you know, to large-scale music festivals from a very young age. So we we're quite lucky to get exposed um, and ex- priceless experience um, from an early age. Definitely. Is there any, any event in particular that, that stood out, either in terms of the, the atmosphere or, or the, the achievements that you saw? Um, oh, so you, it would be very hard to put, put one on, you know, put your finger on one, but... Um, you know, the, the great thing about events is that they are all memories and um, there's there's nothing better than that experience of your favourite song or a crowd going nuts that you kind of, you know, whether you're eight or, you know, 50, you, you remember. Definitely. And and when when you were growing up, I mean, did, did your parents and, and family ever, yeah, did they ever try and like point you in this direction and say kind of, you know, this, this is what you should be doing when, when you get a bit older or did it just come naturally? Uh, it, it just came naturally. I think uh, naturally... You always look up to your parents and their and their involvement. So I, I definitely think it has an influence. Um, but we were quite fortunate where they never really put pressure on us, um, and yeah, naturally just became, I suppose, passionate about the industry. Yeah, mm. I, I, I always love that. I think if you can can start with a passion, then uh, it's, it's much easier to to try and follow that passion. I think a lot of people these days are just kind of sat there saying. 
I'm not quite sure what to do with my life. But, but it sounds like you, you had a, a clear direction from quite early on. Yeah, I, I think that that's sometimes the hard part is monetizing that or creating a commercial, uh, I suppose, outcome based off your passion. But yeah, when you're passionate about something, when you're trying to work, you know, 80-hour weeks or 100-hour weeks, it becomes a lot easier when you're really passionate about um, what you're doing and, and it comes to the point where it doesn't feel like work at all. I think that's the, the, the always the best way to be when, when work doesn't feel like work, then it makes the whole, the whole experience more pleasurable. Oh, I, I think especially um, in a really competitive environment, it's hard to, hard to outwork someone. How does it work then? So you, you're, you're growing up within this family environment, you're going to all these, these amazing events and you, you mentioned about seeing an industry that was ready for disruption. Was there a particular moment when you thought, hang on, I think we can do this differently, or was it kind of like a, like a slower learning process? Um, it was about six, seven years ago, um, and to kind of give a bit of history, traditional ticketing companies really were about themselves, so um, everything from their brand, so where the marketing was being sent, it used to be sent to one of the ticket tech or ticket master um, the cash flow, so the revenue was being held from by that ticketing company until post the event. Um, the data, the data was being owned exclusively by the ticketing agency, not the customer. So no one ever knew who was turning up to their events, and marketing was becoming more expensive, and they became very reliable. Uh, I suppose reliant, sorry, on that on that ticketing organisation. So plus a multitude of other things. So. It was due for disruption because it actually made the people putting all the money and risk at line, um, you know, in a really negative position. When you, you, you had the idea and you thought, well, we can, we can do this differently, was it, was it fairly easy? If your family knows that, that business, were they just like, yep, go for it? Or, or were they saying, you know, this could be a bit, a bit more difficult? That's a good question. I don't think anything's easy. I, I think that the the concept of turning a business model completely upside down, that's that's easy, but I think it's actually the delivery um, and making that actually happen um, is the challenge that you kind of got to, you got to actually make it happen um, and you got to pull the right people together. And I, I think that, um, yeah, I wouldn't say it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you mentioned with the delivery and, and some of the challenges that you face, especially in those, those early days when you said, right, you know, flick it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a thing. What, what were the initial challenges? And did you ever sort of think this is going to be too hard? Uh, I didn't think it was going to be too hard. I think that you've got to, you've got to really believe in what you're doing, which pushes you through that. Um, the challenges are, you're, when you're young, you're, people don't know who you are and you might not have that much experience and your product might not be that tested. Um, and so, you know, working through those challenges, if you can get through them, makes you definitely a stronger business. And you, when people challenge you, you need to, I suppose, think a little bit more dynamically, which enables you to grow in the long run, if that makes sense. It's, it's almost like a a boxing match where the the punches to the face or the bruises kind of get you make you a bit stronger. So yeah, and were there? That's a great analogy in terms of and a, and a great a great sporting one as well in terms of yeah being in that boxing match taking the the punches to the face. And were there 
Were there any moments when you were you were getting those punches and you were like, no, I'm going to stick to my guns here? Or, or were you having to kind of, I'm trying to murder my metaphors here, in terms of like, you know, like ducking and weaving, and you know, we having to adapt depending on, on what you were being taught? Yeah, I suppose our um, the product that we're, or the solution and services that we're providing to the market uh, had so much uh, benefit to the customers that it made it a lot easier for us to do it. Like if we weren't solving a problem and we were just coming out with a simple transaction of let's just chuck a barcode on a piece of paper, I feel that we wouldn't be able to get to where we've got today. But because we understood the market we were getting into, understood the challenges, understood what that was costing some of our partners now that have been with us for four years and have got you know long-term contracts with us, mm. um, I definitely felt that that made it easier. I think it... It's a key point you you make there, Ben, in terms of solving a problem. Because we we have a number of businesses reach out to us here. I, I speak to hundreds of businesses sometimes every week, and you'd be surprised how many people just don't take it back to basics. And everyone's you know, everyone's got wants to be the next Uber or the next Airbnb, and they're all saying we've got this crazy idea for a tech company, but they they sometimes forget that the best way to build a business is by solving problems for people. And, and that, that's such a powerful thing. Well, you, you know, you look at um, the NFT space, for example, um, we had a lot of pressure put on us to, to dive deep into the space. But, you know, we weren't solved on the fact that, one, it was practical. So you're not going to get a 65-year-old farmer from the Waikato taking this up really quickly. Um, and two, what actually was the problem that it was solving? And, and we found it hard to believe that um, would actually solve a quick problem. Yeah. It's, it's funny you mention uh, everything around NFTs. I mean, I, I think of myself as a fairly switched-on, tech-savvy guy. And I NFTs and you know, crypto, I can kind of get that. NFTs, I, you, I'm just lost. When, and I think so many people just try and overcomplicate things. That's exactly right. What you're doing then with, with Flickr is, is making that, that whole process with the ticketing a lot simpler and a lot more streamlined so so everyone wins is is that the correct yeah that that would be fair like everything from the branding so we never brand ourselves it's always branded our customers um we've put a lot of time money um and effort into making sure that buying process actually enhance and increase conversion ratios rather than just transact um, and then off the back of that, really understanding, you know, helping our partners understand who their customers are and who they're not and, you know, what that history looks like and, and giving them access to more data than they've ever had before to enable their customers to have a premium experience. And I do I do love talking that language and it sounds a bit geeky, but I, I, I love data and I think there's, there's so much power in in that, that customer data and the database and, and everything else. And are there any surprising or, or unexpected insights that you can start pulling from from all that data when you start looking through it? I th- yeah, the, the challenge we have in New Zealand is that New Zealand actually has quite a limited amount of data sets that, mm. that they have access to. But for each individual teams, it's, you know, it was simply just taking them back to the basics, like how many people have turned up. If you've got six events a year, how many people come to five versus four versus three? Um, what type of people are buying your premium tickets versus your entry-level tickets and then matching those data sets across, you know, how many of them have got Sky, how often are they tuning their power bills, how are they getting to the game. So, yeah, each I suppose each individual team or festival has surprising data sets. Mm. And I think it's, 
there's there's a really powerful book. I can't remember who the author was, but the title is Selling Ice to Eskimos. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was a guy who was in in the US. He used to work with with basketball franchises as the head of marketing, and he'd sort of go with um, some really poor basketball teams, and he'd work with them and say, "How can we get? How can we fill out these stadiums with these?" these terrible teams that no one wants to watch, but we want to fill out the, the stadiums, not just once, but every single match day. And the the strategies they use, I think, are so powerful. It's, and that's why I love it as well. You get the, the data and the psychological aspects, like why you know why would people want to go to an event? How does that link to the other aspects of their life? And it's it's like an onion. I think that the deeper you, you get into it, the, the, the more compelling story you can find. And, and sometimes that's just working out kind of quite simply what business you're in as well. You know, like matching those data sets across. Because with sport especially, you know, are you in the sports business or are you in the entertainment business? And I think you're matching those data sets can be quite interesting. And what, and that's a great question. And how the way that you know sport and, and events are evolving these days. And like I say, I'm I'm clearly from the UK where I did a lot of work with um with the soccer teams. You know, clubs like Manchester United and, and so on. And they there's an argument that many of these teams, and I think a lot of fans feel hurt by this argument that the team exists to entertain and to make money rather than actually win win trophies. Which is why. What, what what's your view on that? Uh, yeah, I. I th- I, I wouldn't have an opinion as such on that. I, I feel that um, sports is about to go into a really challenging phase where the new generation of kids coming through, um, they've got live access to everything instantly. Um, and so sports can't necessarily always supply that. And so live sport especially, I think it's going to be due for disruption because you've got kids on TikTok gaming, you know, like it's, it's taking off where participation and say New Zealand's largest sport rugby is declining. Um, and so, yeah, it doesn't really answer your question, but I think sports is in for an interesting time on whether they're in entertainment or whether they're in sports and how do they actually keep these sports alive um, for the next generation. I think it's, it's really powerful. And if we, as we're having this conversation, I've got my, uh, my two kids here in the studio, ironically, Stuck on i uh, stuck on iPads, but being very quiet. Um, but I think with, with you, know, you think about live events, concerts, sports, everything like that, and I've I've seen it myself. Um, and we'll we'll cover the whole COVID thing shortly. But people at these events, if, from a tech point of view, they're either filming the event if it's a concert on their phones. I know some artists now are trying to put a stop to that. If it's a soccer or rugby game most people are kind of the half watching the game and half looking at their phones and it's you're right it's I think partly it's around attention spans and and people just just wanting their everyone's used to having a screen in front of their face now which if you're watching a live event can be can be a difficult thing yeah and also the challenges is that do you want to go and watch a rugby game where it's raining and you get charged you know nine dollars for a beer and fifteen dollars for a hot dog or do you want to watch it at home and and in your warm big flat screen TV and and you can have you can pick and choose who your company is you know like yeah. that's that's an interesting challenge. Mm. And then is how how does Flickr address that challenge? If you look at the like, the landscape of the next you know, three to five years, I think it's about us helping our partners have more access to information. So. Who are your fans that are watching it from home? Who are your fans watching it from Australia? You might have a global audience. And so I think it's our job to provide our teams with the insights to help them make more informed decisions. And it's the insights are about actionable data. So there's no point in knowing someone's the colour of someone's socks um, 
if there's no outcome from that. And so how can we supply actionable data that they can actually use to make differences for that fan experience, whether they're sitting at home or watching it from the game? Definitely. And it's... I think it's such an interesting piece where if you look at the, the again, look at sports teams, sports teams in the last 10, 15 years have used data a lot more in their training. Like, you know, looking at their, their their player data, their performance data, health, fitness, heart, heart rate and everything else. But if you look at the, 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 the fan data, I think that that's such a growth market still and, and something that could be a, a real powerful turning point. Yeah, like, you know, is it is it the fan experience actually what that on-field is? Like, imagine being hit by a tackle and, and like, is it using, um, you know, I don't know, using that information to kind of make it an actual genuine experience when you're there rather than just sitting in the back corner? Yeah, and I, I always remember I, I spent some, some time in, in America a long time ago now and even there, like, going to an NFL game, Compared to uh, you know, compare an American NFL game to like an English cricket match. Yes, like totally. Like Mike's my my uh, my grandfather. Yeah, he took me to cricket games in England. I was brought up on this whole kind of sit there, shut up for six hours, and just kind of applaud politely. And then you go to an NFL game where you know they're walking through the crowd with bazookas, firing T-shirts, and and it's such a you know, fireworks and everything. And it's such a, an all-encompassing experience. But it's I guess it's clearly knowing also what what the fan wants. It's interesting because as we work across, say, um, you know, Bay Dreams, LAB, you know, a variety of large-scale music festivals, but then we work with, say, super rugby teams like the Chiefs, the Hurricanes. Um, and I feel like both of them have got areas to learn off each other. Like I feel the experience at a music event, you know, when the hairs go up the back of your neck on your favourite artist or your favourite song coming on that could have brought you back to your early teens um, versus your favourite player scoring a try. Like both of them are quite entertaining, but... Mm. You know the crossover between how can we actually get sport to engage, like like music festivals, and then you know, same the other way with the loyalty of a brand. I wanted to take a quick pause in today's episode to tell you some very exciting news. We are honoured to have the owner of the Bay of Plenty Business News here in the studio, Mr. Alan Nieburn. Welcome, sir. Hey, thanks, Freddie. Thanks for that welcome. We've got some really exciting stuff coming up in this month's issue. That's the September issue of Bay of Plenty Business News. I knew you were going to ask me about that, so I thought I might as well charge straight into it. Hey, I don't know if uh, if you live anywhere near uh, near Bethlehem. Or Tapuna, Freddie? Yes, Alan, I do. <laughs> well done. I'll give it some context because you're probably starting to wonder why I'm asking that. No, we're not asking people to stalk you, to find you and track you down. Not at all. Hey, the reason I mentioned that is because we're featuring this month uh, a background story on the new Tolrico Eastern Link Road. Uh, for those of you that don't live in that area, you won't know anything about it. You may not be even aware that it's happening. But for those of you who live near the Wairua River, uh, you may have well seen a lot of activity there. There's big stuff happening behind the scenes. So September issue, Bay of Plenty Business News. You can find out a bit more about what's happening in this massive scheme. Alan, I need to get that information in my life. If I was going to go online to read the Bay of Plenty Business News, what website would I go to? That's easy. B-O-P businessnews.co.nz I'm there now. Thank you, Alan. And now back to the episode. I find it's, it's a real key turning point. And I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm using soccer and because I, because for, for, for my sins, Manchester United are my team, but I look at what happens with, with them where they've, they've built their fan base over years and years. And then you took, got Manchester City coming into the, the arena. Um, you know, they were 
had some a lot of outside investment from from the Middle East, and they've kind of been like, "How do you buy a fan base? How do you buy?" I'm trying to be uh, non-biased in my, in my just, "How do you steal a fan base?" <laughs> but how they were like, "How can we just throw money at this and create a passionate fan base that will?" buy our shirts, go to our events, you know, get the tattoos and everything, which the purist would argue that's something that's handed down through the generations and, and something that they can't buy. But but the more we look at the data, I, yeah, is it something that could be, I don't think being created is the right word, but you can certainly see the formula to it. Yeah, you can. And it's just like, you know, um, like a winning team has a significantly more financial upside than a losing team. Like people want to support winners. Um, so I, I, I would, yeah. Could you could you afford a, a fan base? You probably could if you pick the right players and and. But I don't know what the longevity of that would be. You know, if you've earned the right, it's probably going to be a lot longer game than buying the right, which you know could become a short term vision. Yeah. Very true. Um, so, so let's look at a bit more of the, the, the sort of the internal side of, of, of Flickit. So you you started the business. You said, right, we could we can disrupt this this space. Was it just yourself? Did you start off with with partners, a small team? So how how did you start internally, and how did you grow? Yeah. So um, if, to begin with, there was three of us. There was my wife, um, who's been you know instrumental to getting us off the ground, running all of our operations, making tidying up the mess that we create. Um, and then uh, my, my other business partner and, and co-founder, um, Jimmy, who runs all of our technology. So he had an honours degree um, in software engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and the three of us really worked together to build it up to now three years later um, through a pandemic. We're at 15 staff now. Um, and, yeah, we've the, the team has been really focused on not only strong values, but also delivering a, a, a really premium experience. Like I feel that all of our team, you know, one, they've been with us for a long time and two, um, they all treat it like it's their own business. So we're very lucky that we know that all of our customers are in really safe hands and all of our technology is being developed at a really high standard. Awesome. And, and you mentioned values and what what are your values as a business? So this is a good one. Um, so number one's accountable. So we always hold ourselves um, accountable no matter what we do. Um, responsiveness is another value. Um, so making sure that, you know, in a live entertainment industry, we've got to be available and responsive 24-7. Um, we deliver excellence, so always paying attention to the, the detail and, and going and be of, be above and beyond in our service delivery. Um, and the last one is always learning. So what, what can we do and do better what information can we we take and pass on, and and um, yeah, how can we always improve? I love it, and I think that that pursuit of, of excellence and improvement, and it's it's, it's key to, especially if we've got sports teams, it's a very similar approach in terms of how can we make those, those marginal gains and, and improvements. So I think these days that so many companies are just focused on on the money or, or the short term profit or the next quarter and it's really refreshing to to hear that you you bring that sense of ownership to the business yeah I th- and i think that a lot of organizations have values and they're they're more of a cheesy statement right where if you genuinely believe and deliver it actually creates a really good culture um, and I would say that all of our customers would know our values, and and that when you talk to them and when we get references, etc., they 
they are saying how responsive, how we're always working above, how we're always learning and improving. Um, and so I think it when you get all the team on board with a with a good set of values, it definitely sets you up for success. Definitely, and no, I fully agree. And the question's got to be asked: working with your wife, how uh, how is that? And as as an experience, it's an experience. Um, I, I to be honest, I don't think I would have been able to do it without my wife because she under we understand each other, and so we get our our strengths and weaknesses, and um, they both, you know, what my skills are probably, you know, we complement each other's skills. Um, I think the hard part is switching off from work and actually taking a holiday. Um, that's, you know, that, that hasn't happened in the, in the last five years, and we've both uh, worked very hard to get to where we are today um, and continue to work hard, but um, it's an experience. <laughs> you mentioned uh, yeah, the, the, the 80 to 100 hour weeks and, yeah. and that difficulty in, in switching off and here we, we, we call the, the podcast Taming the Ferrets because yeah, a collection of ferrets is called a business and sometimes when we run a business it feels like we've got 100 ferrets running all over the place that we're trying to kind of corner in, uh, into a box with long work hours working with your wife difficult to switch off do you have any any kind of non-work life is it possible to to, to switch off and, and and go and enjoy the an event or, or do anything like that uh with our busy schedules if we 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 got to schedule the time to be honest mm. to, to make that happen um and we stick to our schedules so yeah, at this stage, it's about scheduling the time to spend time with each other and making sure that it's part of it. Um, but then also, we are lucky where some of, you know, when we go to an event and there's 30,000 people going crazy over an artist or a, or a going to a semi-final of a rugby t- t- game, you know, we get to experience that together, which I think, um, you know, we're quite fortunate to be able to do so. Definitely. And uh, yeah, if you can go to an event and, and call that work, then uh, then that's <laughs> even better. Um, I mean, yes, with uh, I loved what you say around around scheduling the time, because I know a lot of people, they listen to that and they'd be like, well, that doesn't sound very fun. That's not very spontaneous or, or romantic. But one of the main common things that, that I have learned through working with business owners, through being a business owner myself and, and speaking to them, it is around that freedom that you get through structure. And and I've found that the times in my life when when my business has slightly gone off track or I even might, if I've felt out of control, it's when I'm not sticking to my schedule. And, and I think it's it's something that is, well, yeah, personally, so powerful if you have that schedule and you stick to it. And is that something that you've always done or is it is it something that you've learned? I think it's something you, as you become, as you grow up and you become more mature, you get better at um, and to maximise your outcome. But it's, it's about being disciplined as well to stick to that schedule. If you're not disciplined um, and you let work kind of take control, it becomes a lot harder and you kind of go through those stages of when that does happen but it's you know if you pull the structure back in it's yeah Mm. it works for us yeah and especially when you run a business there's or anyone in life there's always going to be the emails pinging there's always going to be someone that wants to to borrow five minutes of your time and I think it's about setting those boundaries as well and if if you don't set those boundaries for yourself then then yeah you just get pulled in in a hundred different directions yeah and I'd say it becomes easy as your team but like you know back in the day when it's just Amelia Jimmy and I um you know we relied heavily on each other to do each other but as the team grows you know you kind of um it does make it a lot easier Mm, definitely so you, you built the team, the business was growing, 
then we start hearing something on the news about some some virus that that starts good going around the world. Yes. How does that impact your business? What when was there a moment when you thought, hang on, this is gonna, this isn't just a news story. This is gonna start impacting my my day to day life and my business. How how did that all pan out for you? You're like, wow, this is this is actually happening. Um, you know, what do we do? And and again because we had such a tight team with um, Jimmy, Amelia and I, we were able to sit down and go, well, what can we do? We can't sit on our hands. Um, and so we just took it as an opportunity. We we knew that whatever we were feeling, the big guys were going to be feeling it 100 times more. And, and so when their focus was on cutting costs and um, restructuring and um, how do we keep this alive because we've got all of these large-scale investors. Um, we focused on, well, how can we out-service our, you know, our competitors? How can we call 100 times more people when these guys are forgetting about the people that have kept them alive for 10 years and focusing about themselves and their own profits? How can we turn this into an opportunity? And so we doubled down our investment in our tech we doubled down our investment and upskilling our team to be to deliver better customer service. Um, we doubled down on on everything, and um, it enabled us to, to to really grow. Like we we took COVID as an opportunity, and although ticket sales were down on an individual customer basis because we didn't have an access to international artists, we didn't have access to international teams. Um, we were able to scale out and grow, you know, our customer base to, you know, 10x. Um, and so, yeah, that, that focus on putting our customers first and, and um, you know, actually getting out there and helping them and not sitting on our hands, is, it's, it's been a, a bit of a blessing in disguise. Absolutely. And, and I, I love that in terms of when, when tough times happen, then you double down and you, you say, we're not going to let this beat us we're going to actually invest more when other companies are running away from something you guys are saying well let's actually face into it and, and see what what difference we can make yeah and 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 that's what happened you know what i mean and i feel that um yeah there's always going to be tough times but and sometimes in challenges there are good opportunities that come out and yeah as i said you know i don't know whether if COVID didn't happen whether we would have got to where we've got to today like if biz Businesses continued as usual. I don't think we would have got to as big um, as fast as we've got. And so, yeah, I'm not grateful for what's happened, but I, I think that we've definitely made the most out of it. Definitely. And was there any fear in those early days? Were you always like this? Or were there, were there moments when you were like, oh, I'm not sure we're going to make it through here, guys? I think there's there's always going to be um, – times where you get nervous and and um you know stressed and and you know you could use the word um fearful but that's when it comes down to if you genuinely believe in what you're doing you can kind of go well actually we can do this like we're going to take it on and um we're going to win um and yeah if you weren't believing you didn't have a strong enough why i don't know if you could get through it Mm. because it's kind of it's kind of a bit veneer, it's a bit of a facade, it's not real, but if you genuinely know that you're making a difference, well, it, it pulls you through. I think that's so powerful because I, I, a lot of business owners I know, especially in in the UK, and apologies to, to the UK listeners, but I know a lot of business owners who use COVID and if, as controversial as it sounds, 
they use COVID as, a, as an excuse to to fail. And and they were I, I, so many companies that are like, yeah, you know, we tried our best, but COVID happened, couldn't help it. And I I personally believe no matter how difficult it is, if you have a strong enough why there's always a, a way forward and it might be a different approach than you thought or it might be a different strategy but there's there's always a way in there somewhere and i think if you circle back you know even on on your upbringing i think um you know you know amelia and i are quite lucky both of both sides of our family are quite competitive and 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 so i feel that that drive to want to win and and those early kind of behaviors that you learn as a as a child i feel um definitely come through now in those in those key times when the going gets tough as well definitely and uh well I, it's funny because the guests that we we have on here on the show it's, it's a pattern i'm noticing the the the, the business owners especially the, the fairly new businesses that started and then got hit with covid within a couple of years of, of the business starting you see them now and they're all just on a rocket ship because they they were fairly young they got hit with this big global situation that that took down a lot of big players but the fact that they got through that i think the uh, the resilience the imagination the strength the uh, the creativity that it built within the teams that just sets them up for success now for the next decade yeah uh, I, as i said it's a, again back to that boxing analogy if if you if you've bit toughened you can you can get mm. through anything so. definitely and so, so looking ahead to, to the future, then we've we've discussed a bit about how the the events and the sports scene may be changing. What what's next for for for, um, for Flickit and, and the business? How how are you going to be be attacking the next five years? So we we want to be we're on a mission to become a, a global business. Um, we're currently um, throughout North America, the Pacific Islands, um, here and Australia. Um, and so, yeah, we're all about scale and delivering what we provide here uh, um, with premium service, premium technology to premium brands globally. Um, and so, yeah, um, we've also got some cool projects up in Fiji, working with the Fiji Drawer and the Fiji Rugby Union up there to kind of deliver, um, you know, large scale events throughout, um, exclusively throughout Fiji, which is pretty exciting. But yeah, our focus is on, you know, how do we just keep um, keep growing and 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 you know providing value to people around the world. Definitely. And how how do you think events will change? So we, we've talked a bit about the the tech side of it. Is it just a case of getting getting bigger? Is it events just getting back on track after COVID? How how do you think that whole landscape is gonna gonna differ? I think it's gonna be all about the experience. It does. I'm I and you're gonna have to deliver a, an excellent experience as it becomes more competitive. Um, there's more content, there's more technology, um, there's more competition. Like, you know, 15 years ago, people weren't competing with Netflix, you know, as a, as a thing to do on a Saturday afternoon. And so I think, it's, I think that the people that can deliver a world-class experience will succeed, but the people that have been, um, you know, maybe lucky will be up for a few challenging years. Mm, definitely. And for, for people that are, are listening to this and they're saying, this sounds really cool. You've got events, you've got sports, you've got the the tech element and everything else. Or even to anyone that, that's inspired by this conversation to to say, right, I've, I've got this idea, I can solve this problem, maybe I can start this business. What what advice would you give to them? Just give it a go, um, and and give it a hundred and ten percent. You'll be surprised, I feel, um, and people hundreds of people have said it but sometimes you know it's not it's not even about hiding that idea from everyone else I feel that 
you should talk about that idea and that the hard part's actually delivering and most people don't have the, um, how do I say this, you know, they don't execute. And so if you get out there and you, you, you do the calls, you, you, you meet as many people as you can, you, you go and actually provide value and even if it's for free at points, you know, you, you can do it. So just give it a go. I think it's a great point you make, and I that whole execution. I mean, I, everyone let's say has a business idea, and I've I've gone to like meet people for a coffee, and they've been like, "You got to sign an NDA before before I tell you my idea," and you're like, "It's it's not always about the idea. Cause having the idea is one thing. Be able to execute, and then execute consistently, time and time and time again. That I think that takes a real a real talent rather than just the the idea that sometimes we we have in the shower. Yeah, and I think it's understanding like what your skill set is as well. Um, so, you know, if there's an area that you're not strong at, find the person. So if it's sales, for example, like sales is one of the key things mm. to our business. We're very sales focused. And so, you know, I feel like getting the right people around you to compliment you, you know, mm. it's okay. Um and asking for help's okay. I feel that there's a lot of business people out there that, um, you know, are very busy, so they're not going to steal your idea necessarily, um, but they might just be able to give you a hand, which, you know, you never know. Yeah. And that, that's a key point that you make around the the whole sort of strength side of it, because some people say, if you've got your, your weaknesses or development points, you should focus on addressing them. Other people say, just ignore them, double down on what you're good at and, and just bring in or buy in expertise. What's your view? Do you think? Do you think double down on what you're good at, or, or we should keep learning and improving in in other areas? I think you should always keep learning and 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 improving. But I feel that you should double down in the areas that you're good at. There's no point in me um, diving into our technology when I, you know, I can't read a code base. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it makes it more fun, and it, it enables you to pull through those tough times as well when you are ex- excelling um, at something you're really good at um, and you're bringing people that are also passionate about what they do that may compl- complement um, those areas as well. Definitely. No, I, I love that. And, uh, and Ben, we're, we're coming to, to the end of the show now, but we do have the, uh, the tradition here on Taming the Ferrets, which is the special secret question. That I haven't told you about. So, our, and this is where the guests look always a bit scared about this one. But um, our guests uh, have a tradition where they they write a question for the next guest in the special "Never Stop Looking Up" book. So, I've got a question for you from our previous guest. I haven't even read this myself, uh, but where are we? Here we go. So, um, it was uh, it was I think uh, Rohan who was our previous guest, and he said. What does success look like to you? Always puts the guests on the spot. It's and, a great uh, one. I feel that um, if you achieve, like if you if you wake up every day and you feel like you're achieving something and you're moving forward and you're helping people, yeah, you've got to live a fulfilling life, don't you? Mm. You know, you you can't be bored. And and for me, success is just you know getting out there and you know feeling fulfilled and whatever you're doing, whether that's mm. your family, or your relationships, your work. Um, and winning. <laughs> no, I, I love that. I think so many people would would class successes as just money. And I think, but if you have the money and you don't have that fulfilment and you don't have your family around to 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 live those cherished moments, then you could say, well, what 
why why we're we doing these things. It's not just about numbers in a bank account or no. a spreadsheet. It has to be that that deeper meaning. You got to wake up getting excited about each day. Mm. You know, like if you if you can wake up every day and feel excited about the day in front of you, I feel of course you're going to have those tough days, but I feel like that's a successful life. I love that. I think no, that's that's a brilliant place to end. And 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 Ben, I, I wish you and the whole team at Flickr every success in the future. I think it's it's been such a fascinating conversation. It's such a fascinating area. And and yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun time for you guys, I can tell. Yeah, cheers, mate. Really appreciate your time and um thank you for having us on the show. Definitely. And before we, we do finish, if anyone's listening to to the podcast and they, they want to get in touch with you or be involved in it and flick it a bit more how, how do they find you how do they get in touch yeah the best way to find us is um, www.flickit.co.nz um, and yeah always someone will respond quickly I'm sure perfect well Ben it's been a pleasure I wish you and the team all the best and we'd love to have you back on the show uh, yeah in, uh, in a few months time and find out about the next stage of your journey awesome thank you very much like what you hear don't forget to follow us on social media at Taming the Ferrets and to give us five stars on your podcast provider. We're New Zealand's best kept secret, but don't be afraid of sharing us with the world. This has been a WTF experience. Discover more of your favourite shows and learn how to launch your very own podcast at wtfproductions.nz.